Welcome to episode 769 of the Sleeper of the Bus podcast. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Hi, strangers. How are you? <laughs> yes, you are finally back. It's been uh, been a long off season, uh, and you and I have had a hard time uh, connecting with everything I've got going on and everything you've got going on. But we are going to try outside of maybe missing next week uh, because I'm moving finally into my house. Hopefully. Hopefully, 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 uh, we're going to try to get together every week so that way uh, your voice gets heard more than, or just as much as mine and Paul's. Well, and let's be clear, we've had a we've had a, a confluence of, of major events happening on different sides, like you and, and, and getting a house and all the stuff that's going on a house. My stuff has been uh, on the professional level. I've had some... Uh, if I have been uh, current or anything to anybody online or whatever, apologies. I've had a lot of shit going down professionally in the last couple of months, and it's been a really tough time. So there were times when you could record. I just wasn't in the mood. And, you know, so this is really a confluence of so everybody else listening understand this is, you know, this is two, uh, two busy schedules and different things just not making it possible. And now uh, now we're finding more possibility because things that, you know, you're about a week and a half from a house or a couple of days from yeah. walking into your house. Uh, so congratulations on that. Uh, and uh, I am in the next phase of, of stuff professionally. Uh Stuff's behind me. Have to move forward, and and moving forward, and uh, this doing this certainly helps me move forward. So uh, yeah, so but we're together finally, and uh, uh, we get to finally talk some baseball, and we haven't gotten a chance to really break down anything together. We we do it via text and things like that. <laughs> yeah. We haven't had the recording software going. Uh, hey, we, should we're doing it. we should have like a subscriber feed to like get into that private text. <laughs> I don't know that that would be a great idea, <laughs> but uh, I thought, why don't we just throw out a bunch of, or throw out a tweet on Twitter and go, hey, we're going to do question and answer, kind of a mailbag episode, uh, and uh, at first it was pretty quiet, like the first 12 hours, like nobody sent a serious question, uh, and I was like, oh, well, I guess I got to come up with some ideas, but some people finally did. Uh, so we'll just kind of, I'll just kind of go through them one by one. Uh, we're going to start with the one that was uh, put into my DMs. Uh, I'm assuming so it wouldn't be seen by his league mates. Oh, every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but this one I have a little bit of personal experience with. So uh, it's uh, it's an interesting question. So he, he uh, Nick asks, how would you handle the league creating rules to offset your greatest strength? I'm in a very long time 12 team keeper league. Usually top 14. Uh, he's usually a top four team, and they only keep five uh, based on rounds drafted. He will always have a surplus uh, of guys to flip for either player pick uh, during the off season. So what they're trying to do is ban trades until after keepers are set to prevent him for con- from continuously pulling off trades and, and kind of putting together better keepers. He's uh, wondering what he should do. All right. So first off, you know, we're, we're recording this on January 19th. This is too late to be changing rules in any kind of league. I mean, this is one of these things where you should have uh, a, a winter meeting, if you will, for your own league and do it soon after the end of the season. You know, if things end at the end of September, get together sometime in October and say, okay, you know, 
what do what rules do we need to look at? And I, you know, I'll give my commissioner for my local league uh, at least one of them. I'm in two different local leagues. At least one of them listens to this podcast, so I will give him credit because he does an outstanding job of doing this. Where he emails and says, "Okay, these are the rules that we talked about in season," and he creates a poll and we vote for him on the CBS Sportsline site, and we vote for the poll. And sometimes rules change, and sometimes they don't. But it's it's we wrap that up in time so you can do things in December, January, February. And our draft is always the first weekend after the regular season starts. So there's still plenty of time. But for me, right off the bat, I don't like this because this is way too late to be introducing a change that's going to impact your offseason work this dramatically. This is a major change. If people didn't like it, they should have bitched about it earlier in the season. And this should have come up for a vote a lot earlier than January. But if this is going to happen... Uh, you know, then you just try, you try to find the best value that you can with the guys you have. If you've got, if you only keep five, uh, you're gonna have to try to keep the best value. It sounds like a canned answer, but it's true. I mean, if, if you're gonna lose a 12th round pick by keeping this guy versus a, an eighth round pick, see, you know, try to project what's gonna be out there and try to protect value. But I would raise a big stink about changing rules in January. Yeah, I, I completely agree about when you change rules. I, I was in a long-time keeper league for a long time where this kind of stuff popped up, but we always voted on rule changes at the draft, but they wouldn't go into effect until the following season. Yep, And I think Same. I think that is uh, kind of the best way of handling these type of things. Uh, and they that league, <laughs> before they eventually kicked me out for apparently being too good, um, they, uh, they would change the trading rules and the keeper rules and this and that to try to offset some of my strengths. It was pretty frustrating, um, especially because I'm of the belief that you shouldn't make rules based on individual players, but what's best for the overall uh, league. So that being said, uh, Nick, if you are a person that they're having to change rules to uh, kind of offset your greatest strengths, uh, it's likely because you're better than them. That's unfortunate, but you'll figure out a way to adapt uh, and if you know, he, he said this is a long time league with friends. Uh, event, so he doesn't want to leave it. <laughs> you, you're not so if you're not going to leave it, then you just got to figure out the best way to adapt. And if you you're always having a surplus of guys, that means you're out drafting them. You're still going to out draft them and out trade them in season if that's when kind of uh, all the action is really going to happen. So but, I wouldn't you know, worry I would about it too him. much. I, I wouldn't. But I, the other thing I would suggest to build off something else you said in there. At the draft table this year, propose the rule that all rule changes have to be proposed at the draft and have to be voted and cannot be enacted until the end of the season. But put something, if you don't have something, and this goes for anybody, if you don't have something in your constitution that outlines when rules can be voted on, when they can be enacted, get that in your constitution. Because that way you can always point back and say, no, 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 this is what we all agreed on. You can't change rules midstream just because I'm better than the rest of you guys. Uh, yeah, but get that in your constitution. I, mean, it, it, I guess it's the theme of the week. Everything, you know, baseball has been around 150 years and people have been skirting the rules for 149 years and 364 <laughs> days. It, it's just half every rule comes about because somebody has done something. I was reading, uh, I did a couple of radio interviews this week and I'm like rereading a book by Dan Gutman. Uh, it's called, if you, it, it, it ain't cheating if you don't get caught. And like, there's an old rule, there's an old rule on a, um, on a foul pop-up before the rule was in place, somebody could jump out of the dugout, declare themselves in the game, and catch the ball. So a guy did That's this. amazing. And then they, <laughs> then they were like, okay, no, sorry, we got to put this rule in place uh, because you, you can't you can't just do that. 
And I was trying to find, because I was reading, I was like, that, that would be awesome. Uh, the way, oh, here it is. Michael King Kelly, a popular player captain for the Boston Bean Eaters. See, Boston's always cheating. This was the 1880s, and Boston was already cheating. Was sitting <laughs> out a game when an opposing player lofted a lazy fly ball towards a dugout. Seeing that his catcher, Charlie Ganzel, had no chance of making the play, Captain Kelly shouted, Kelly now catching for Boston, and stepped out of the dugout to snare the ball. In no time, a rule was put into effect banning substitutions mid-play. You know, so this was the 1880s and people were trying. So here we are in, in, the, in 2020 and people are still trying to change rules like this. So, again, I would use this to his advantage and say, OK, fine. You guys want to change rules? I need something in there. Let's set up structure moving forward. Because constitutions shouldn't be, you know, unchangeable. They should they should adapt as the league adapts and as the sport adapts. I want I want to see all rosters go to 25 man rosters. I tried proposing that this year in my local leagues and it didn't get accepted. Yeah. Uh, and just make sure you have a constitution, too. Like, there's some yeah. leagues that just don't have constitutions, uh, and that is uh, a recipe for disaster. You should be able to point where in a document each rule is. Uh, so, uh, but I think that's, uh, I think we answered that one pretty good. So let's, uh, let's move on. Speaking of the Astros and cheating, someone asked uh, what we would do if the Astros, or if we were the commissioner, and what would we do to the Astros? Uh, and since you haven't had a chance to really weigh in on this whole situation, uh, I'm, I'm going to allow you to kind of answer this one first. So I, I will say, and I tweeted this out last night, I think Rob Manfred's doing a worse job of handling this than Bud Selig did with the PEDR. Yeah, <laughs> that, and I, I truly believe that. I mean, it took it took Jose Canseco writing his book to get Bud Selig to do something. It took Mike Fires going to the media to do something about this. Now, if Mike Fires I'm trying to put myself in Mike Fire's shoes. You know, Jessica Mendoza was upset that he went to the media. Maybe he went to the media because it, it, this appeared to be the worst kept secret in baseball, the way players are reacting to this right now. And you saw Mike Clevenger's video speech to the wonder of whatever that website was. Um, but this appeared to be one of these things where, like, people in the sport knew stuff was happening. And it made me think as I was watching games, I remember commenting or noticing during the season this year, there were a lot of catchers throwing down multiple signs with nobody on base or a man on first or where there's nobody on second. Why the hell are you throwing down multiple signs if there's a guy on first? Who else is looking? And so they made you think. So it's like, OK, this was the worst kept secret. And then go back to there was an interview that uh, Alex Bregman did. Uh, and he was talking about uh, that the, that Carlos Beltran was helping the Yankees out behind the scenes a lot, like a lot. So, like really, we kind of missed the sarcasm uh, back in the day. And then uh, Alex Cora talked about uh, the Yankees' best signing of the offseason may have been Carlos Beltran when he became a special advisor of the team. It's like this stuff was out there. Uh, and I think uh, or believe rather that Rob Manfred made a mistake giving players immunity to get more details out of them. And this was reaffirmed to me yesterday at Astros Fan Fest. If you watch the interviews from Altuve and Bregman, uh, I know Lance Berkman's not with the Astros, but let's be real. Lance Berkman is an Astro, right? And you go, you're, there's no contrition in these interviews, none at all. And I think that's where the mistake, uh, I think that Manfred acted cowardly and not wanting to take this fight to the players' union. Uh, but then again, it's like one of these, but you know, as a parent, you know, he's one of these things you allow this to happen for so long. And then you finally jump in, you do, he did give up some of that ground by allowing this to go on as long as it did. If these rumors have been around there for 
three plus years. I mean, it was said that Beltron brought a system from his former team to Houston. So this stuff's been out there three plus years and you finally act on it. There's only so much, there's only so far you're going to be able to go, but this is one of those fights you should take publicly because we're talking about the integrity of the game. And now as they're trying to, uh, you know, you look at the the gambling aspect of it and how they're so, kind of sort of embracing Vegas, like you've got to get this integrity issue squashed. Uh, and I don't think he's doing a good job of that right now at all. Yeah, I don't necessarily think he's doing a very good job either. And as much as I know people are like saying like the discipline imposed was unprecedented, a $5 million fine is nothing to an organization. The draft picks are the harsh. I mean, the draft picks hurt. Let's let's be real. That's going to hurt. I mean, I mean this they organization. They into the international market. Oh, sure they can. I mean, the organization, so. they're about 15th in the farm system rankings that I've seen, of the aggregate farm system. So losing four top draft choices over the next two years, that hurts. I just don't know if it's if you go in there and say, okay, yeah, the players were doing it, and not a single player is going to miss a single day or pay a single dollar in a fine. That's crap. Yeah, I just don't. I, if they hadn't given immunity to these players, they they wouldn't have gotten very much information. I, that's so. the that's the public fight I take though. That's when you take it to the fight to the public and say, okay, we have we, there's enough smoke here to say there's been cheating going on in this system. They could have used. Okay, here's here's the video that John Boy put together and everybody else here refute this and take it public and then you get the public on your side because nobody likes cheaters except for the hometown fans. So that it that it truly is Houston against the world, uh, or Boston against the world, or Yankees. And let's be real, this is not just two or three organizations. There's no way only two or three organizations were doing something uh, along this lines. Well, uh, keeping on that theme, uh, Mike uh, on Twitter at mdrc. 0508 uh, asked, uh, do you change your uh, valuations of Altuve and Bregman with these uh, kind of allegations? You know, that's the, I, I, I dance around that only because there may be some good, like I would wonder what their ADP would sit like, like this week. Now, you know, over the last couple of days, we don't have enough draft, but we can look right now. If we sort uh, from December 19th to January 19th, you've got Bregman at 10 with a range of 6 to 14. Uh, and you have Altuve uh, is 33 with a range of 20 to 44. So 10 and 33. Let's revisit this in a couple of weeks and see where their ADP is falling. Because at some point, you got to jump back in if 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 the if the group is going to say okay these guys really weren't that good let's take them down a little bit then you got to jump back in because now you got value you it's really tough to find value in the first three rounds but if these guys are going to drop I'm jumping back in yeah I mean if you look at if you just sort sort by drafts over the last week on NFBC uh, Altuve is going 38th uh, and Bregman is going eighth overall like this so is how it hasn't so f- been touched and, and Altuve's yeah. lost five yeah so I mean it's not really affecting things all that much uh so I mean and I don't think it should really I don't think we I, Jeff Zimmerman I think uh said he was working on a piece uh on uh, on the launch angle podcast uh he mentioned it uh it said maybe uh you know maybe they lose 10 percent of what they were doing at home and I just think it's too hard to quantify uh, at the end of the day, I, I'm not very, very worried, worried about it one way or another. Um, I, it's not going to stop me from drafting these guys. Now, I understand if people want to take them off their board, uh, you know, Paul and I mentioned that Ian 
uh, Khan uh, mentioned on his podcast, he's taking these guys off the board. Hey, as um, Ian's auctioneer on March 12th, I'm going to hold him to it as well. <laughs> I'm auctioneer in one of his home leagues, and I'm going to hold him to that. <laughs> yeah, as, as a good auctioneer should. Um, I mean, these weren't guys that were high up necessarily on my boards anyways in terms of guys that would be targeting. Uh, that being said, like if, if one of these guys falls into my lap, I'm not going to like pass on them. Yep, and let's uh, be real, Jen Jen Piacenti's in that league, so she's gonna buy every one of these Astros anyhow, so it's it's <laughs> it's it's okay. Uh but that I mean obviously that's where I am. It's just it, it really it, it becomes like a tiebreaker thing to me. Like if I've got two players really close, maybe that comes into my head and it's, and it's like maybe there was something to this electronic thing uh, or in, in 19. But I mean, the the whole side, the trash can stuff was 17. We don't know exactly what happened in 19 uh, if we are to take Major League Baseball at its word, um, which I don't. But if we are to take them at the word. But to me, honestly, it becomes like a tiebreaker thing. I'm not moving guys down the rankings. I think that's fair too, especially like Bregman, like he's going ahead of Trey Turner, uh, Trevor Story, Juan Soto, Justin Verlander, Arenado. I was already taking those guys above Bregman, so maybe he becomes like the tiebreaker for someone like Tatis, right. or Jose Ramirez, or Anthony Rendon. Uh, but I wasn't probably getting him where he's going anyway, so yep. I'm not necessarily worried about it uh, affecting my draft strategy. Uh, we got a bunch of raise questions, so why don't we uh, we'll, we'll, we'll switch over to a raise corner real quick and uh, and knock out a lot of these raise questions. Uh, Kentucky Nick uh, at ky underscore Nick Wilson uh, asks uh, crowded outfield, crowded infield. Please help me understand which raise are draftable and which are waiver wire fodder. Uh, and then in parentheses, is Jose Martinez the, uh, the DH now? Yes, he is. Uh, they they didn't acquire him to work him in a platoon, but I think you know I made the joke when they started making these all these acquisitions. Honestly, Austin Meadows is the only guy that I'm comfortable saying has a 550 plate appearances. Maybe maybe Willie Adamas. That's about it. That's the thing. I mean, you look at this roster and it is set up for platoon central. Uh, you, you say, okay, Brandon uh, Brandon Lau. Nope, uh, we're not going to have you hit lefties, so we're going to put Daniel Robertson in there or Joey Wendell, who uh, who can slap around against lefties. And G-Man Choi, uh, those are the days uh, against left. Nope, sorry, Jose Martinez. I mean, this this is what the team does. Uh, they can't afford they can't afford the the high profile bat, but they can afford two cheap bats that are lefty and righty that may be able to play two spots and we'll put them together and and we have more value. So that's where that's honestly my biggest concern with that. Um, also the fact that Mike Zunino remains undraftable, uh, and that will always be my stance forever and ever. Amen. Uh, with that. So honestly, it's, it's really the playing time concern because between health with Yandy Diaz, uh, you know, Hunter Renfro is going to be in a platoon situation. I don't see him playing every day. Uh, I'm curious to see how, uh, Susugo, I'm just going to call him Yoshi, uh, to, you know, to see how that's going to, that particular situation is going to play out. But, uh, I just could, I have playing time concerns because there's too many platoon situations sitting here, and I don't see I don't see value because of it. Just because it's it, there's there's going to be a cap to that. So uh, the easy way is just to say, hey, Mike Zanino is undraftable. I'm I'm very curious to see how Jose Martinez responds to being a full time DH 
I mean, he was god awful in the field, and that's got to get in your head when you're trying to play right field. It's like, oh god, here comes that fly. It's like that old Adam Sandler skit, uh, like, oh god, here comes a fly ball to me. Uh, you know, back in his his old cassette, they're all gonna laugh at you. Uh, that particular album, but uh, that's now that he'll be able to DH full time. Or he should be DHing full time. If he doesn't, maybe it's a maybe it's some time at first base. But I don't see him ever putting on an outfielder's glove again. Let's hope not. I, I can't imagine that he does. Uh, that would be probably uh, yeah. That would that would not be good for anybody involved. Uh, I also does, the other thing I would say I, I don't think Nate Lowe is long for this organization. No, I I think he has to be traded at some point. I just don't see it. It's just not long. And I, it's just really weird. But when you look at how this, how they've structured the team and what they went out and acquired, it's like, all right, big guy, uh, they're either putting the pressure on him or he's being moved sometime this year. Mm-hmm. Well, in kind of, this brings up a question that wasn't asked by uh, anybody, but one I'm wondering, like, if you're in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues, how are you kind of... <sighs> Like I've got a lot of guys in some dynasty and keeper leagues uh, on the Rays. How does how should the way they treat their lineup construction and their everyday playing time should we like count into like prospects like pedigree and uh, and, and like future value? Because obviously people were really stoked on uh, low coming into last year uh, and things because of platooning because of obviously his his. Uh, um, uh, you know, being blocked, things have not worked out well for him. And I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to position, well, in, when it comes to pitchers too, the way they handle their pitching stats, how much would you devalue Ray's prospects coming up through an organization? Honestly, not as much as I used to. I mean, they used to slow cook their prospects. I mean, slow cook them. Desmond Jennings, for it was a top 10 prospect for like three straight years, uh, you know, amassed... 1200 AAA plate appearances, something ridiculous. And then he finally got up and then, you know, started breaking down and, and never achieved the, never achieved where he was supposed to be. Uh, but they were, I would say they were rather, I think they really started with Blake Snell to say, okay, if you've got your stuff, we're going to, we're going to move you. Now they're going to, they're never really going to skip a level. They're not going to take somebody from double A to the majors. They are going to work their time in, but I, they're not slow baking anymore. Uh, but they're certainly not instapotting uh, these prospects either. So they will take their time. Uh, I think when you look, the 40-man roster has been crowded. I mean, look back last year, Nick Solak, they could not find room for him. And they ended up trading him to Texas for Peter Fairbanks. Solak does well for the Rangers uh, at a time when the Rays could use some offense, but they didn't like his defense that much because Solak is a bat-first guy. Um, but they didn't like his defense, and they kept glove-first guys over Solak and, and just – Things were crowded, and this, that's why they were making some of the deals. But they have, you know, and with the uh, with the twenty six man roster, I think things are a little better. Uh, they have a lot of guys on the on the uh, on the roster with options, so they're not stuck. I mean, Zanino and Kiermaier and Choi are the only ones that have that can't be sent down. Everybody else, every other hitter can be sent down. And even every pitcher except for Charlie Morton can be sent down. So uh, and Chaz Rowe and Oliver Drake. Uh, so a lot of flexibility for some up down frequent flyer miles between St. Pete and uh, and Durham. Okay. Uh, one of the other questions we got for Ray's corner is when do you expect Wander Franco to be up? Oh sweet Jesus! Sooner the better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, not this year. I really don't. Uh, it's, it would be against their nature. I mean, yeah, he's a special prospect. He is. He is 
accepted and exceeded everything thrown at him to date, but they've never done it. Now, if they're in the hunt in September and they can, with rosters expanding to 28, uh, maybe they take the time and say, you know what, we've got to do something. But if you if you believe in the growth that Willie Adama showed last year, then why why call up uh, Franco to sit? You know, and so maybe potentially it is on the other side of the diamond. But then if you believe in what you saw on Brandon Lau from time last year, why, you know, again, why call up Franco to sit? You're not going to, if they're going to call him up, they're going to call him up to use him uh, and not just sit on the bench. Uh, because with the with the AFL, I don't know if he qualifies, if he would go to the AFL this year. Maybe he could, because with the AFL starting earlier, the benefit would be like, okay, kid, go there and play every day versus sitting up here on the bench and getting used as a as a as a tool every now and then. Well, and I wonder if the AFL is going to turn into kind of a taxi squad for playoff teams. Yeah. I mean, because uh <laughs> with it being moved up, uh you know, these guys can kind of get some work in. Uh so it'll be interesting to see how that affects it. I agree with you. I don't think Wander Franco's up. One, he's not on the 40-man roster. Uh so uh, I think there's a better shot that uh, Vidal Brujan uh, comes up late if uh, uh, they have issues at second base so or, or a shortstop. I just think that they're probably going to wait on uh, on Franco. So uh, I agree with you there. Uh, I don't but think... even with uh, even with Brujan, you got Lucius Fox in front of him. Same kind yeah. of position, same kind of opportunity. And, but and, Fox, and Fox isn't is the player a, that Brujan is. But he's 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 further advanced in his minor league career than Bruhan. I agree. I mean, uh, Bruhan's a better prospect, but Fox is there. Yeah. And Fox would be an interesting fantasy guy because he does have speed. I mm-hmm. mean, Bruhan does too. So, um, all right, let's, uh, who <laughs> from, uh, from Ray's quarter to Giants quarter, <laughs> Tim Weber at baseball underscore NGR, uh, as should any Giants be taken before the 20th round? <laughs> That's that's messed up, Tim. Oh, man, that, that's that's harsh. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. sort by giants, and the highest uh, the highest giant um, is uh, uh, high, highest in terms of ADP is is Buster Posey at pick two sixty six over the last month um, on NFBC. Uh, I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say that Jeff Samarja deserves to be taken before the twentieth round. I understand why he's not, but I mean, he pretty much reverted back to being uh, the Jeff Samarja of old. A guy who could deliver innings. He wasn't super flashy, but he's going to throw just a ton of innings uh, and, you know, kind of be an accumulator, uh, kind of as a a low-end starting pitcher. Going way too late. 335 uh, is insanely uh, late. Um, Mike uh, Yastrzemski, another guy I think should be going probably around pick, you know, around the 20th round, maybe higher going... uh, at uh, pick uh, 366 currently. Uh, I was going to lead off for the Giants, hit 20 home runs last year. Uh, I-, I think both those guys should be uh, going probably inside the top 20 rounds. So I'll tell you this, on the on the bold prediction series I did at Rotowire, my bold prediction hitter was Mauricio Dubon. Uh, and I said he would earn $10 in NL only league formats. Uh, you know, the, the major knee injury that he suffered back in 2007, uh, early 18, Obviously subtracted from his ability to the, his speed. I mean, it, it hurt. I want to say he 
blew up his knee trying to extend a single or something in the first base and like took a step funny. I just remember his knee went out and like this was a guy that stole 31 bases. Uh, I'm sorry, 38 bases in 17 and has only has swiped uh, 19 over the past two seasons. Uh, so he had the speed, but I'd like him down in the bottom of the lineup because he's been a guy throughout his uh, minor league career has shown the ability to accept walks. Right now we're talking about hitting them eighth down there. So that's what he has to do. And if he can get on base, he still has, he does have good speed and he can still run. And so down there, that gives him the opportunity to steal 10, 15 bases. And that has value in this day, in, in this fantasy era, uh, when it's it's tough just to get to 25 steals. So if he can get 15, I think there's some value there. And then on the pitching side, I like Logan Webb as a guy that's, you know, maybe you draft him in the 19th round. Uh, but I, I think Logan Webb has a, an opportunity to step forward here uh, this year. Uh, like the stuff, I know there's been some, uh, issues with uh, inconsistent command, but that's because of inconsistent playing time. I mean, he went from a major injury to a PED suspension around that, but between all that, he's still shown that he's got potential there. And so, like, those are two late late round dart throws, uh, depending on how mm-hmm. deep your league is, uh, that I would take stabs at for the Giants. Just remember that Webb isn't going to make the opening day rotation. So, uh, because they, they just signed Drew Smiley. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be three starts. Exactly, but that's oh. three starts. So, so, if you're in a league where you can't draft minor leaguers, uh, if you're not willing to stash people, I mean, Logan Webb's probably an NL only play anyways, uh, but uh, definitely got to keep an eye on while he's in Sacramento, but uh, I don't think he's starting starting the year with the big league team. Unlikely, but that's... but. Honestly, in a 12-team mixed league, it's really tough to take somebody on this team early on. You're going to think you're going you're to be sitting here drafted like, did I miss somebody taking off the Giants because mm-hmm. I don't have anybody scratched off? Nope. Nope, you haven't. They just haven't been taken. Especially because, uh, I mean, if roster resources to be believed, they're going to be platooning everybody. Yeah. So, Yastrzemski's not going to be platooned. Posey's not going to be platooned. Longoria's not going to be platooned. Dubon's not going to be platooned. So... Uh, those are the guys that are uh, uh, they're, they're interesting because they're not going to be facing a platoon. Um, I think all their pitchers, their all their starters are somewhat interesting, uh, but I don't think they necessarily should be going in the top twenty rounds. Um, Roster Resource has Tony Watson as the closer. I, I don't think that's going to be true. I think Sean Anderson is going to be the guy. So. Um, I, I'm Sean Anderson is a guy that I'm picking up late in uh, in leagues, uh, just on the chance that he becomes the closer there. Try it. All right, uh, let's go ahead. I think that's all the Giants questions um, and all the Rays questions. So so we got those out of the way. So uh, we're gonna uh, move on and talk about. Hmm. Uh, someone long. asked. Oh, go go ahead. I was going to say, there was one question I really liked to talk about, like, hey, what kind of metrics do you look at to identify pitchers? Uh, and I forget, there was it's in the reply to the Twitter, but somebody, uh, I tweeted it out yesterday, too, as a, as a follow-up. Nate Coleman, there it was. Uh, obviously, it's hard to pinpoint a breakout pitcher, but what common factors do you look for? Any candidates you like this, uh, as the next Frankie Montas or Lucas Giolito? Mm. And so I said, I sent over a link in the chat if you want to put it in the in the show notes. But there's a I can. So leaderboard, obviously, if if you have a login at Fangraphs, you can create a custom leaderboard. That way, you don't have to go to the default stats all the time. Uh, and so, just don't have a link in the in the show notes to one I like to use for starting pitchers. Um, and and on the on the leaderboard, it has uh, total batters faced, 
uh, Babbitt, Whip, home runs per nine average and left on base percentage in one grouping. And that grouping I just look at as I really put that all in tiebreaker because a lot of that's just outcome stuff that you don't have complete control over. So it's just like, okay, let me look at something. Maybe somebody's got a super low strain rate or super high, different thing, but that all that's all in one bucket. But if you made me pick three stats, it's zone contact percentage, swinging strike rate, and strikeout minus walk rate. Those are the three I like to use because I want to know that this guy can miss bats in the strike zone when he has to. Um, because there are some pitchers that are great as long as they're ahead in the count. But if they're behind in the count and have to come into the plate and they can get hit, it hurts. So I want to know that they can miss bats in the zone. I want to know that they can just miss bats, period. I need that swinging strike rate. Uh, and then, and that was one, to use that example, Luke Weaver two years ago, I was out on him because he had to, he had a high strikeout rate, but he had a low swinging strike rate. And to me, that was like, okay, if he was ahead in the count, he was good. But if he wasn't, he couldn't do it. And Luke Weaver did stink the next year when I used those as my, hey, be careful here. And then strikeout minus walk rate. A guy could have a, a higher walk uh, percentage, but if he's got a lot of strikeouts, it offsets it. And so I'll give you a good example here. Uh, I, I continue hearing a lot of people talking about Reynaldo Lopez. Like everybody, oh, Reynaldo is going to be great. Grandal is going to be catching a lot. Of, and this was happening last year. And I was I was not in on Reynaldo Lopez, but a name that I, I keep I hear as well. And using those particular stats, it's good to group these two is Joe Musgrove. So if you like Ronaldo Lopez and his 83% zone contact rate, then you have to like Joe Musgrove to 87. Yes, Joe Musgrove's a little more hittable, but Joe Musgrove also has a higher swinging strike rate than Ronaldo Lopez does. So he can miss bats, and then he has a 16% strikeout minus walk rate, and Lopez has a 13%. And if we look, if we go and jump and, and take a look at where these guys are falling ADP-wise, to see the difference, and this is where I try to, was I'm trying to put my pitchers uh, together during the offseason. So we've got Reynaldo Lopez sitting at 297 uh, with a, a range of 257 to 343, and then we have Joe Musgrove at 210. So people really are in Musgrove, uh, and they're out. The, right now the drafting pool is out on Lopez, but is the difference that I just mentioned statistically 80 picks apart? Really? So that's where I, that's where I I try to look at those types of things and say, okay, show me what's here. Let me see there, and then I'll take then I'll go further, get in the baseball savant, uh, pull up the stat cast, and like let's see how this stuff grades out. I mean, I've been tweeting a couple things out. Uh, you know, I'm not the only person who likes Mitch Keller this year. The stuff's way too good for it to be that bad. But his fastball got absolutely obliterated last year, um, and use Alex Chamberlain's pitch board to look at it and see how bad it was obliterated. Uh, Corbin Burns, same thing. The stuff's way too good for the results to be that bad. Uh, so that leaderboard, and then that gets me over to do further work in the Savant to say, okay, this is where I am on guys. Uh, but again, zone, zone contact rate, swinging strike rate, and strikeout minus walk, those are the three that if you maybe throw away every other stat, I want those three. Those are all good ones. Other guys that kind of pop up that are interesting uh, names on that list uh, of that leaderboard that uh, will be in the show notes so people can uh, – you know, go over there, copy paste it, or click it, and uh, open it up on, on whatever uh, they're using to listen to the podcast. Uh, Sandy Alcantara is one of those names. Uh, swing and strike rate, or uh, sorry, uh, uh, the uh, the K minus uh, walk rate isn't as impressive, but a guy that I've liked for a long time, uh, and I think is uh, a really interesting guy. It'll be interesting to see what what happens with them moving in the fences 
in Miami if it's going to play more neutral as opposed to being a pitcher's park. So something just to keep an eye on. Uh, a guy that I haven't been a fan of that kind of checks all those boxes is Joey Lucchese. And uh, you got and another new pitch coming this year. Exactly. I was just about to mention that <laughs> Jeff Zimmerman uh, uh, in his uh, Mining the News column on Fangraphs, which is a fantastic column yes. to go look at. Uh, it's like a, a better version of the Roto write-up in the offseason um, that I that I do in-season. Uh, yeah, says he, he's going to be adding another pitch. If he can just find another pitch that's showable, he could become very, very interesting. Uh, so a guy that I may... Uh, kind of really turn around on because I, I've been very anti-Lucchese for pretty much his entire career, and it, it's worked out fairly well for me. Well, the, so. the, the issue with him, and he's got a new manager this year, so that's going to mm-hmm. help, but I mean, as soon as I heard about the new pitch, I, I, I tweeted out, yeah, this is obviously going to help him because he got absolutely obliterated uh, time through. Like, if you look at the times through the order penalty, his ear, if he had not thrown to, if he had two turns and out, if he had done that the entire season... He would have had an ERA of 349 and a whip of 110. His final numbers were 418 and 122. It was that third time through the order where he just got crushed. Uh, at 732 ERA, all of that lifted him up. And so that third pitch helps. And maybe I don't ever see Lucchese as, as a guy that could go three times through the order, but maybe he can go 21 batters. And with that bullpen that San Diego has, he doesn't need to go that long. There are times if, if the, you know they're playing uh, they're playing one of the bottom feeders, maybe you leave him in there a little longer. But uh, you're playing the Dodgers, you don't leave him in, you don't need to leave him in that long. Give him two trips, maybe give him the first two guys, and then he's out. But if he does, if that's why last year, even when I said last year I liked him, if the pitch came along, whatever third pitch he was going to throw last year, never it didn't go it didn't go northwest with him from Arizona to San Diego. It stayed in Arizona, and so he suffered from it. Uh, if he's going to use this new pitch this year, that's a difference maker. Uh, but like you said, he checks some of these boxes, and that's why it's like, okay, this is intriguing. What else? Where could, where could he potentially improve? And that's what you start watching for in stories or as you're watching games in February and March. Is that missing piece showing up? Is the is the changeup showing up? Is the you know is something else? They making more? Is he running more? You know, different different things for different people. But find what's missing and then start reading stories like Jeff's story and different things uh, to see what's happening. The MLB the MLB.com beat writers do a phenomenal job, and this is where Jeff really gets a lot of his things from. Is he culls that feed and just pulls those things out? But they they what may seem like a, a toss off comment, like oh yeah, this guy's doing this. It points to some playing time potential. It's like I saw a note the other day. I think it was in Jeff's column. Shed Long's going to be like the everyday second baseman in, in Seattle. I like Shed Long this year, and if he can get guaranteed playing time in that role and not in the outfield, even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things to, or well, one other guy I want to kind of highlight, kind of in that uh, vein, a guy who's on that uh, high up on that leaderboard in all three of those uh, categories is Matthew Boyd. And Matthew Boyd was pitching like an ace right now, going pick one sixty eight. Off the board. bombed at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because people saw what he did at the end of the year. But, I mean, he's got a lot of the skills that we look for in a guy ready to take the next step. Uh, the other thing you want to do, um, because uh, I'm trying to remember the two, who are the two guys that he mentioned. Oh, Frankie Montaz and Giolito. Those two guys have one huge thing in common, and that's where they had huge prospect pedigrees and failed. So look for those kind of guys, you know, go look up old prospect lists and go, okay, this guy was an old prospect, 
he failed, but he still has a good pitch, or he still has two good pitches, and he either missed time due to injury, or just, you know, maybe changed organizations, uh, and see if, you know, see if those guys are ripe for a breakout. So, for instance, like Michael Kopech, coming back off of Tommy John, he's going to pick 275. Yeah. Um, let's see, uh, I mean, Dylan Cease is a guy that Paul and I have talked a lot about. I don't know how you feel on Dylan Cease, but he's going 311 right now. Sign me up. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's a number of these guys that, and they may not all work, and so you may have to churn and burn, but if you had churned and burned Giolito early on in the season, this was a guy that would have paid, uh, massive di- dividends if you didn't burn him because he didn't have bad, you know, too many bad starts. Right. And I'm glad so, you brought up Matt Boyd. When you look at Matthew Boyd and those three stats that I talked about, Matthew Boyd was was tied for 12th best of zone contact percentage, a lowest zone contact percentage of qualified pitchers. So he and you, Darvish, tied. So and then you look at swinging strike rate and strikeout minus walk rate, he was eighth. And those, so with all three of those metrics, he was a top 15 pitcher. And then you go back and you look at the ADP, and he is neck and neck with Mike Miner. It's like, yeah, Mike Miner can miss bats in the zone a little more, but Matthew Boyd misses more bats overall. And we're talking about an eight percentage point difference in strikeout minus walk rate. And yet those two pitchers are right next to one another ADP. Give me, give me Matt Boyd 10 days a week over Mike Miner. Especially if Detroit <laughs> trades him. Detroit trades him and he gets to a better situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like maybe they're not so hesitant. I know somebody else asked us, hey, how can how can Minnesota pitch their, uh, fix their pitching? Matt Boyd. <laughs> That's a really good spot. The place to start is right there. Uh, Robbie Ray, uh, I think I also replied with uh, trying to think of somebody else that was in the final year of a deal. Samarja. I mentioned Samarja because he has a team option. But these are guys that are available. But Matt Boyd, the Tigers, this is the time to make – they need help continuing to build. Their system's getting better. But cash in because you're not doing anything in 2020. And he pitched outstanding except for the fi- final four weeks last year where he just – uh, tuckered out, but this is the guy that I would be moving. And this is uh, 170. I really love that ADP right now. There's no way it's going to stay, but he's going again. He's going neck and neck with, with he's in between Sean Manaya and Mike Miner. Yeah. Better the, uh, I, I think the twin, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the twins improving their rotation. I think, I mean, obviously they can make trades, but they, they missed their shot to improve that rotation. They did. Uh, Dramatically, they really should have. Like, I don't understand how you're going to spend a hundred. Come on, man. I don't know how you're expecting or or you can spend a hundred million dollars on Josh Donaldson. And while that dramatically improves their defense, which will help the pitching, uh, like that, like that hundred million dollars should have gone towards Rio. Like, I I just don't understand. Like, if you had a hundred million dollars to spend, like, why you waited to use it on Josh Donaldson as opposed to a pitcher that could front that rotation, move uh, Barrios and uh, Odorizzi down a peg in the order. I mean, Homer Bailey is a is a fine pitcher, innings eater type of dude, but him being their three isn't super uh, <laughs> uh, inspiring. Yeah, they're, I mean, it's because the, Minnesota really needed lineup help. I mean, they just didn't have enough hitting in that lineup, so you're going out <laughs> and getting Donaldson. And, and I'll honestly, the, the reason, the only way I can honestly justify spending the money on hitting instead of pitching is they're worried about Nelson Cruz. 
because otherwise it doesn't make sense because you just put Marvin Gonzalez on the bench and you you you're paying him ten and a half million dollars to be a utility player. Uh, and you you, know, you gave him the two twenty one last year and now he's relegated to the bench. And you know if, if Arias hits well, uh, who knows how much playing time Marvin Gonzalez gets this year? But you just took ten and a half million and put it on the bench. Now maybe they turn around. and and say maybe we don't we we've got Adrianza you know maybe we can move Gonzalez to another team and try to get pitching that way maybe they can try to make a deal here but other than them being worried about Nelson Cruz I I don't get now I'd love the move for Donaldson if Nelson Cruz is healthy and Donaldson could have a monster year I mean he's only driven yeah. in a hundred runs once and it was that year he put up the hundred the hundred and twenty three but with Kepler Polanco Cruz in front of him and Rosario behind him, he's well insulated and he could fall into 100 RBIs. I would put the 30 and 100 as my baseline for him if Cruz is healthy and just move it up from there. Yeah, I just don't understand how they, they there was so much pitching on the market and how they didn't get any of them. I know Zach Wheeler was a main target for them and, and missed out and um, I just don't understand how they didn't walk away with one of the. the how about this or... though? <laughs> Which is the bigger mistake, the Twins not acquiring pitching or Jake Odorizzi accepting the qualifying offer? Oh, uh, yeah, it's got to be Odorizzi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I I get why. I mean, eighteen million dollars is eighteen million dollars, but uh, yeah, you're really betting on your own skills to try to get paid again next season. Yeah, so that's uh, that's a scary. Uh, and even Pineda doesn't. Pineda's out sixty games, so he's out. He's out until like late May, because mm-hmm. he got suspended on September seventh. So you figure he's going to miss. He's probably not coming back to Memorial Day. Probably not usable and not on a major league mound until June. Well, no, because he can. When you're suspended, you can do minor league work to ramp up. But okay, really? Wow, you can still pitch in the minor leagues. I, I missed yep. that one. Wow. So even even though you're suspended, you can still do like the you know, minor league rehab assignment type thing to ramp up for uh, for, for the, the entire season. time, so, the entire time or just like the first two weeks, the last 20 days. I, leading up the, to it? I think they're like the last the 30 days leading up to okay. it. OK. All right. So which is, I mean, virtually <laughs> like, you know, so half, half of the suspension. Yeah. So, but they've got to uh, make they've got to make a deal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame. I think they yeah, they, they, make... They're built. I mean, they can win that. They can win the AL Central as they are right now. Mm-hmm. But, but I think they will make a deal at the deadline. I just don't know that it's going to be for one of the pitchers. Uh, I mean, I think yeah, he he they could make a deal for Samarja because he won't cost much. Like that's like the perfect yeah uh, kind of uh, guy for them because I just don't see them paying the top dollar for Robbie Ray that he's going to cost. Oh, that yeah, that was the other guy I mentioned. That was it. so uh, or, or even Matt Boyd. Uh, I mean, well, I guess Boyd. I mean, almost Boyd is, you know, just crushing it again to start the season. Um, I think, yeah, Samar just seems like a, a really nice fit for them. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, Alex Fast asks, who is the cutest, not hottest, fantasy analyst and all, or fantasy baseball analyst? It's Alex Fast. I mean, you have you have <laughs> photographic proof of that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's clearly Alex. That's why he was asking. Yeah. So Hi, Alex. <laughs> uh, just to give you an idea of some of the, the, uh, the weird questions I got. <laughs> why is, uh, why is uh, Kevin Newman better than uh, Tommy Edmond? Oh, man. I, you know, I, that, was, that was one of the other things that I, I, I only got a little bit of blowback. But I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm out on the Tommy Edmond noise this year. 
And I, I was trying to – I put it as a – my bold prediction that I put for Tommy Edmond was that uh, that he would finish outside the top 175 is where, is where I put – now, again, the, when I do these bold predictions, it's on the – I'm looking for things in the bottom 25th percentile uh, of probability uh, for that. And so I said he's outside of the top 175, and when I currently search, uh, Edmond is at 133. So I'm talking about a 40 – I'm talking about a three to four round drop from where he's being drafted right now. Uh, and so that's where I put him. It's just my my issue with him is that, you know, he's hitting down in the lineup and it's a very impatient approach. Low walks, uh, high contact, that type of thing. And the the, prob- the, the range of probable outcomes on that particular skill set could be it could be Tim Anderson, what we saw this year. Or it could be what we saw from Tim Anderson previously, uh, and that's where and this was a lot of my uh, my critique with Mondesi last year uh, that I said that Mondesi was being overdrafted. At the end of the day, I ended up being right, but it was mainly because Mondesi got hurt. But then when he played, he wasn't playing that well either. Uh, this is what my concern with him is that I, I just don't like I'm I don't I haven't seen enough to believe in him being drafted in the one thirty. Like the final note that I make is Nick Madrigal. He's going. Uh, 260-ish, I'd rather take a chance on that skill set at that price than Tommy Edmond at 130. And, I mean, this is, I thought they were, they are asking me, because I've been, you know, a huge proponent of uh, of Newman. Um, there's a 60-pick difference. Like, I mean, Tommy Edmond's going 135 over the last month, and Newman is going 190. Like, yeah, I'm with you. That, I'm with you. That's for the a price. huge difference, yeah. especially because Newman is likely going to be leading off in Pittsburgh. Yes. Whereas Edmund currently is slated to bat eighth in St. L- or seventh or eighth in St. Louis, and that's St. Louis isn't done. Like people act like this is the team they're going in with to start the season. They've been trying to make a trade for a third baseman, uh, and when that fails, because I don't think the Rockies are actually moving Arenado. Uh, they're gonna go get, get Ozuna back on this team. Yeah. So or or go get a left field. You know, Nick Castellanos. Uh, or they're then, gonna go. Yeah, I agree. Go get a left fielder, and Edmund heads back to the bench. And, and I'm like with with Edmund hits down the lineup. Let's say let's say struggles early out of the gate, and, and Tyler O'Neill somehow finally finds his potential. Right. You know, and then maybe he takes over because he's still he's still present here. Tyler O'Neill can still hit the snot out of the baseball. Yes, he has a big contact issue, but he can still hit the snot out of the baseball, and he runs very well. And so if he gets the opportunity, I know somebody else tweeted, like, who's like a, a sleeper source of steals? Tyler O'Neill would be a guy that is looking at because he costs you nothing. Costs you nothing right now, and he has the tools to put up. May hit 230, but he has the tools to put up as if he were to get on a hot streak and get on a heater and be able to run and utilize that that hard contact ability that he has shown um, in his in his time at the, the higher levels of the minor leagues and in the major leagues. Something could happen there, and so that's you know, there are a lot of factors for what you mentioned. If they bring back Ozuna and they're not able to do something, um, or if O'Neill gets on gets on the heater in March and he gets that job, but man, if the Rockies trade Arenado and block Sam Hilliard and everybody else, I'm going to scream. <laughs> People forget too that Tyler O'Neill is 99th percentile in sprint speed. Yep, he's just watch him. Just watch him run once. <laughs> Yeah, I mean he's got some wheels on top. Believe of me, when, when I heard that the Rays and the, the Cardinals were making uh, rumors, I wanted him. I was like, I, I said, Jose Martinez is absolutely the deal. That's a that's a given. You know that's going to happen. And when they said major league pieces, I thought he was going to be other, the other guy. 
And I would have been happy with that. And I like a Rosarena too, uh, because he's actually a better fit for what the roster needs. Uh, but because I, my, my concern was, wow, you have Hunter Renfro and Tyler O'Neill. That's like 320 strikeouts, but a lot of hard contact. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I would have been happy. I would have been happy with him. Uh, but that's honestly who I thought the trade was going to be when I heard it was uh, uh, Matthew Libertor going over. I said it's Martinez and and uh, Tyler O'Neill was the guy that I had pegged. Well, and O'Neill's been, yeah, in the discussions of a, a Colorado deal. So, oh, my God, that would be uh, amazing. <laughs> that would be awesome. Just so, for batting I mean, practice. <laughs> They're just going to do everything they can to block uh, uh, Garrett Hampson. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Colin Weatherwax, uh, who shouldn't be asking questions to a podcast because he has his own podcast to answer questions on. Uh, so, uh, let's say in a 15-team NFBC league, you uh, go uh, SP uh, and then one of Rendon, Freeman, J.D. Martinez to start a draft and then go or SP. So, starting pitcher, major hitter, starting pitcher, uh, do you reach a later for speed for a guy like Malik Smith or see if you can get it on the wire? So what what is your approach to speed this year if you're looking for it late? I'm trying to piecemeal it up. I'm not going to reach for one guy that could carry it, carry me because if you know something happens to him, I'm dead. So I think it, for me, I'm looking at, at finding the guys that can steal five to seven and, and, and compiling enough of that to get me there that way if i lose one of them i'm okay but every time i've built my team around securing one guy that can do it maybe it's because i play a lot of only formats i get screwed absolutely screwed on it but when i've taken the time to to build it and, and get guys and limit my 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 cabooses uh right and get guys that can get steals and handfuls it's ended up working out well for me uh but it's that's just the annual reminder this is not a category you can sit around and wait on if you're slow out of the gate make corrections uh because usually somebody's running away from it but you know your opportunities to run lessen and a lot of the stolen bases you go back and don't divide by uh, the all-star break but just look at april may june the, the attempt at stolen base rate tends to be higher in those three months than it is the final three months. And that's with September pulling up July and August. So that's where I'm looking at. Uh, I want to try to, again, spread the risk there rather than throw it all in. So I'm against, if you're taking that approach, spending that, I think is that, that was your fourth pick, uh, to try to get up and, and grab uh, a speedster in that case. that I just think you have to start crossing off cabooses off your list when you get to that point for your next four picks and try to find guys that are going to that are going to get you to that you know 30 steal total draft four guys that can steal seven to eight bases yeah i i mean here here's what i'm gonna say for uh when you're targeting speed late uh, versus uh trying to fill it out on the waiver wire i i hate the advice of it's you can get that on the waiver wire it's really, really bad advice and it, it, for every stat category. People are like, well, you can get power on the waiver wire. Well, you can get speed on the waiver wire. You can get uh, uh, saves on the waiver wire. Um, Everybody is trying to get those things on the waiver wire. Yeah, they'll cost it, you. It's like getting saves yeah. on the waiver wire. You're and dropping, you're dropping, one, you're dropping the, 170 on a guy because he got two saves in a week and he gets two saves yeah. the rest of the year. Everybody's trying to get these things on the waiver wire um, and... Uh, and they're crapshoots. There's a reason why these guys weren't drafted, <laughs> because they're crapshoots. A one-hot streak may end after that after you pick them up. Like leaving a draft trying to address huge holes in your 
in your team is a bad strategy. So I, I do not like the idea of, oh, well, I missed out on the guys I wanted. I'm just going to forgo this category and get it on the waiver wire. No, if, if you're going to forgo it, that means you're punting it. Yeah. If you get if you luck into something on the waiver wire, more power to you. But you need to then readjust and actually act as if you're punting it. In NFBC leagues with overall competitions, can't. you really can't do that. So <laughs> yeah. it's a very, very bad strategy to just go, well, I'll get it on the waiver wire. Because especially guys who play in these NFBC leagues, they're good. You're not playing against a bunch of slouches. Yeah, and they're uh, picking know, it up a week early, too. That's the thing I've always, when mm-hmm. I first got in NFBC, I'm like, oh, wow, hey, let's let's look at Jared Dyson because he, he's already gone. He went last week and he went cheap. And then all of a sudden, here he is. He's doing some things like that. So, and you know, the waiver wire is like 1:30 a.m. in your local bar. You know, things look a lot better than they really are. And you got yeah. You, you have to get as much as you can if you set a target. If, if 70 steals won your league last year, usually try. My personal strategy is okay. What did it take to get in the third place in every category? That's what I'm aiming for. And if you see at the end of the draft, fine, start reaching. If if you know for a year, Ron Chandler and I used to joke that. Jared Dyson would go undrafted every year in AL only formats. He would end up going undrafted every year and go into the reserve round, but then he would always turn a seven, $8 profit because he would run, he would get his 30 steals and that was worth money, but nobody was ever willing to pay for it in the draft. It was one of the crazy things. It's like, how do we keep letting this happen? And then the, like the one year we paid for him, that was the year he got hurt. It's like, great. Uh, so it's just a matter of building towards your targets and getting there. And at the end of the draft, if you're like, oh, crap, I need to get the 60 and I'm projecting 35, then start reaching for guys at the end. And maybe you draft an empty uh, an empty bucket like that that can get straight steals and nothing else uh, but because you didn't execute early on in the draft. But I, I can't reach early. I just can't. Not for a category. It's great to know where your weaknesses are on a team. You, you know, if you leave a – Leave a draft and you go, oh man, I think I'm a little light on speed or I think I'm a little light on saves or a little light on power. It's great to be able to identify that. But to go in with a to go into a season with a hole on your team is really, really dangerous. Because there's no guarantee you're gonna be able to fill that hole. Yeah. Alright, let's uh let's move on away from Colin, who uh, a great great uh, guy to follow on Twitter at C Weatherwax13. Um, he works for Pitcher List and Friends of Fantasy Benefits, uh, does some baseball podcasting for us at FWFB. Uh, very, very good player, um, and he will be the first to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is uh, is uh, Jonathan VR f- uh, for real, or is this going to be deja vu all over again? Oh, man, that's where he's at. Why not? I mean, they, it's, it's a high price to pay. I mean, at 36 that's the harsh part, but he's in an what else do we have to lose situation, so why not? And that's exactly the condition. All he did was change area codes. He's in the same situation, a team that's trying to rebuild that can let Jonathan VR play as much as Jonathan VR wants to play and as much as Jonathan VR wants to run. That's where that's where it gets into – that's where it could get very interesting again uh, is that, and that he's got Brian Anderson hitting third behind him as long as uh, – Rojas can do his job and move him over. Maybe Rojas leads the league in sack bunts. Uh, or or let VR steal second, and then Rojas will bunt it over to third. Uh, and then Anderson will lead the league in sack flies. But he's going to play. Now, the thing that the tough part with him is it's the playing time. When, you, when you're looking at a guy that's coming off a season of 700-plus plate appearances, 
you got to you have to regress that down because that doesn't happen back to back very often these days. And he played in every single game last year for Baltimore um, and the previous two seasons, 436, 515. And that one big year with Milwaukee, 679. So you, if you just do a three year, you're probably saying, OK, maybe it's close to 600. But that's about 100 plate appearances lost there. So you've got to pull them back. Uh, obviously, I would see the power coming down. Uh, I don't know how much I bring the runs scored down. Definitely bring. I don't. See, I just don't see how he's going to hit twenty uh, over twenty home runs this year. Uh, but forty steals possible. Our RBIs has to come down. Just being in the National League, he's going to lose there. So losing some power, losing some that, uh, losing some runs driven in because the pitcher's hitting at the bottom of the lineup, um, and batting average repeatable. So he's going to drop in two of the five categories last year. Um, which so for me, I don't want to pay the price that he's going at. But if he's going to steal 40 bases, that's what it's going to end up costing you. 40, you know, 40 is the new 80 <laughs> almost. And it's that's what it's going to cost you. Like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, 2017 was a huge letdown for him. He went from 62 stolen bases down to 23. Yeah, but 19 during- home runs down to 11. Those are still not bad numbers. Like, like I understand he was disappointing, uh, especially in stolen bases and the average dropping. But we talk about it all the time. Average can be very fluky. He still has stolen at least 23 bases uh, in each of the last four seasons. And he still hit double-digit home runs in those years. So obviously he's not going to repeat what he did last year. He's still got a pretty safe floor on a Miami team that is going to let him do whatever he wants. Yep. So I, I, I understand not like people not wanting to pay the price because they're... Uh, like, if you don't want to pay the price because you don't think he deserves to be going that high, uh, then that's fine. If you think it's because the floor is going to drop out, the floor's never dropped out. Like the only reason he even lost playing time in 2017 was because his defense was so bad. Yeah, he kept well, messing up things defensively for the team, and so they had to put him. Uh, they had to put him on the bench. Uh, but Miami's not competing for anything. They, he could be atrocious defensively, and they'd still run him out there. This is true. This is true. And anyway, when you when you look at uh, when you look at things, he's going right behind. Jose Altuve right now. That's where he is. So I've been like, if you're getting back to uh, getting back to Collins' question, like, hey, if I should reach, let's say this is like a third round. If if you're targeting VR, obviously because of the runs and speed, then you're looking at Mondesi, who's two picks later. Uh, Albies, because you're taking a hit, you're not going to get the same kind of stolen base production, but he's right there. And then you're trying to search like, who else can I get that's going to run as much? Oh wow, yeah, maybe Whit Merrifield down there at fifty. Uh, so then you're, that's kind of the thing is like, he's being drafted appropriately based on need. Nobody's targeting VR unless you have a certain strat, unless I've gone, okay, I've gone SP, I've gone big bat. Now I need somebody that can go across categories. There's VR in the third round. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question that we're going to do today, um, involves, uh, Brandon Woodruff, uh, so, uh, he says, love the stuff, but can he really get the innings pitch he need to be a top 25 starter, uh, starter in 2020? He pitched 120 innings the last three seasons. Oh man, the stuff is good. Uh, that's where, how much of a spike can they give him? Oh, I'm going to lean. I just want to look to see a couple of things. So. Yeah, 120 between AAA and the majors in 18, 121 at the major league level last year. If you're asking him to get up over even a, even a jump to 150 
um, is quite a big jump for him. AM twenty seven, he's out of that out of that range where you're worried about a huge jump. I mean, he he could make the jump. The stuff is there. I'm going to go to say, yeah, he's going to be there. Yeah, I think he can. I I, I don't think like steamer depth charts have him at one eighty three. I think that is a bit rich. But this is also a team in the Brewers that needs him to throw innings. Like they they don't have a lot of starting pitching in Milwaukee. Another team that really should address their rotation and did not do a great job of doing that. Uh, so I think I'm projecting like 150 for him. Now he's um, being drafted as a, he's the 25th pitcher off the board over the past month. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, that's... And that that includes I believe. Uh, at least one closer or two closers coming off the board in front of him. So that's the like 23rd. Yeah, that, that in fact, the hater is the only one. Hate, uh, and Yates. Correct, right. sorry. Yeah. No, so, Yates yeah. is after him. Yates is 82. Oh, okay. So oh, it's just know, I have it as, okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't have it as draft champions for some reason. All right, so, but my concern is, like, I see Woodruff at 76. I'd rather have Paxton at 86. Like, I think Paxton's the one that should be up there because we know – so, well, I take that back. Similar concerns with durability, given that Paxton's never thrown up. Paxton's never pitched enough in one season to qualify for the ERA title. Need 162 innings. Paxton's never done that. But the way Paxton closed last year and how great everything finally came together for him, and the way that, and the offensive support that he is going to have with that team next year, it's really tough to pass on Paxton. With the same kind of concern, because Paxton's floor is like 150, and that's what we're projecting Woodruff's kind of ceiling to be at. So I would rather take the safer play with with Paxton and what he was able to show down the stretch last year, because I think he came back too quick from injury, and it showed in those first 10, 11 starts after that. But then he just slammed the door in the season last year. I, I just think he has a higher floor uh, than than Woodruff does. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things you have to be concerned about is what kind of pitcher is he as they extend that workload? Yeah. So I that that's all there. There is I think there's it's a ceiling floor argument. If you're looking for ceiling, I really do like Paxton. But if you're looking for floor, you know there's guys like Barrios going after him that like you know is going to get 200 innings. Uh, they may not be as pretty as Woodruff, but does the overall kind of uh, cumulative uh, work? outweigh what a guy like Woodruff can do. And so. we talked about Matt Boyd puttering out. Here's the thing on Matt Boyd. The funny thing is in 18, he threw 170 innings. Last year, he threw 185. So, But the season before that, he had thrown 135. So he went 135 to 170 to 185. That's a nice progression. I was going to make a comment earlier to say, you know, I like Woodruff in 2020. But like I say, if you're drafting in a three-year, one of these leagues where it's three years and out with them, I would have concerns about the following year. Because if you're projecting him to go from 120 to 160 or something, it's that next year after guys have that big workload. And let's say they he goes from 122 to 160, Milwaukee gets deep into the postseason. And on the whole, he's worked 180 innings instead of 120. That's got to get factored in. Especially for a guy in his 20s. It's one thing where you're talking about uh, Scherzer, Strasburg, that kind of stuff. It's something else when we're talking about a guy who's got not even one full season of starting under his belt. All right. I'll actually last question. Yancey Eaton keeps asking. Oh, that guy. Oh, at Yancey Eaton on Twitter, as if enough people didn't already follow him. Uh, He asks, "When do we get an announcement regarding inclusion or exclusion in the League of Champions on TGFBI?" Oh, he's out. He's out. Rude, he is. 
you'll find out what league you're in when you find out, like everybody else. So it's... Yeah, it's uh, I don't I, even know what league I'm in. He hasn't yeah. even told me. I don't even know what league I'm in yet. I haven't done it. I'm, I'm Sign-ups go through the end of the month, and then I put it all together. So uh, you'll find out when you find out, dude. And I don't even know if I'm doing a League of Champions this year. So there, there's so many people who complained about it last year that uh, I may actually relent and uh, uh, not do it. Oh, there's probably a league on double secret probation. You're just not going to talk about it. <laughs> wink, just, wink. Just, just put 15 of the best players <laughs> together and be like, what do you mean? This isn't a League of Champions. It's it's just a really, really tough league. You have a basement in your new house? Because that's where that draft will be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for us. Uh, Jason, what do you got going on? Uh, working on my AL Central bold prediction piece. I've got three of them. I've got the NL West, NL uh, AL West, and the NL Central done. I've got three more to do. Um, I may take an all-star break uh, in the middle of that <laughs> series and try to do something else like you know, five guys at, at the Rotowire because some of my bold predictions are not in line with where Rotowire has predictions. And, and a couple of people are like, yo, people are saying this and you're saying this. I'm like, that's the great part about working as a team of people. You don't have to agree. I mean, just look at the thread between you, uh, Paul, myself and, Eno. we don't we don't. Uh, agree that often on there's a lot of different uh, differing opinions in that and I like that it gets you to think instead of I don't want to be part of an echo chamber uh, and so I may take an all-star break and say here's some guy this is why I like these guys better than the, than the team this is why I like guys less because um, I know I'd like I've heard Paul or uh, Paul's written a couple of pieces like that like hey five guys I like better than the ADP uh, and I, I like those series when guys are saying this is why I would take somebody higher and like he did a podcast the other day with um the guy from Arbor Pro, uh, drawing uh, a blank on Yeah, I really enjoyed that because it was like, hey, here's this is why I would take these guys. This is why I see their ADP jumping, and why I would be in on that, or if I was, uh, if I would not be on that. Uh, so I like those types of think pieces because it then drives me to look at some look at things from a different angle. What about you? Besides house uh, buying, do you have yeah, time house for buying? Else? Uh, yeah, we uh, over on Friends of Fantasy Benefits, we do sixty podcasts uh, in thirty days. Uh, oh, yeah, during that's the right. month of January, so especially Dynasty players, Matt Thompson and I do a team-by-team uh, -team preview of, of like the top prospects for fantasy. It's really Matt talking, so if you dislike me, you don't have to hear a whole lot of me talking. Uh, <laughs> then, then we do uh, team, 30 team previews, so two coming out a day each day in January. Uh, then uh, releasing ranks on... Uh, fan graphs, I should have my final two sets uh, of my first run of ranks, which would be outfield, I think, and third base, uh, coming out this week. Uh, and then uh, TGFBI, going to be doing uh, some kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, in-depth looks at uh, different people within the industry. So they're interview. I, I, you know, we have the Beat the Shift edition of the podcast with Ariel and uh, Ruvain. Uh, but I do uh, what we call uh, behind, you know, kind of behind the, the people uh, where I kind of just get to know people in the industry that you may not have heard of. So I'll be starting that up pretty quick. Well, as that's well. good. Uh, if you, uh, if you and Paul, because I know you and Paul are doing mixed labor together this year. Uh, and I'm doing the AL labor uh, for listeners, because uh, if, especially if anybody's going to be at the uh, first pitch Florida event at the end of uh, at the end of February, in the, the first weekend, the last weekend of February that bleeds into March, um, I'll be there. Uh, so come by, say hey. But I'm in the uh, AL Labor Draft that Saturday, Friday night, I think it is. Friday night, Saturday night. Maybe it's Saturday. I just know I have to be on a panel the next morning to talk about it. 
Yeah, I, I, I can't remember <laughs> when it is. Uh, but yeah, no, Paul and I are going to do the, uh, the live draft uh, where we kind of talk in. Uh, there's been some people who have been uh, like tweeting at me asking for more live draft uh, podcasts. I've noticed that. Uh, so I'm going to try to do a number of those this year. Uh, I don't know if they'll be on this platform as much as Friends of Fancy Benefits or TGFBI, uh, but uh, I will be doing, you know, I think both of my online championships uh, and maybe a, a main event or a solo shot, one of the two. I don't know which one I'm going to do in New York yet. So, uh, and uh, I will try to have someone else on with me so it's not just me talking. But... You know what we got to do, though? We got to do a better job this year of interviewing one another about our tout strategies before, mm -hmm. but don't publish it until after. So people can yeah. be like, what the hell was Justin thinking? Mm -hmm. Listen, this is what – and do, like do it before and after. But Paul and I did that one year. I think it was a year before you came the first time. And it was like we sat down and I said, okay, this is what I am going to do. And then we talked about it like afterwards and said, okay, this is why, this is what happened. I like, I tried to do it, but this is where it fell apart because sometimes you get a little bit of revisionist history and you can and make yourself look good after the fact. But if you're on record beforehand saying, I'm going to spend $230 on hitting and then you show up on the other side and you spent 175, it's like, what made you change? Uh, and, and that particular year is like Chris Sale came out, like he was stuck cheaper than I had him. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm buying Chris Sale. And so I, I, I planned on going and spend more hitting, but then I had Chris Sale at a, at a $35 pitcher and you stuck at 31. I said 32 and everybody shut up. I'm like, okay, I got Chris Sale. Uh, it was like one of those kind of things. So it's that I'd like the, the before and after picture. And even if, uh, even if we have to like do our own solo recording, it's like, okay, here's the audio, here's what I'm going to do. And then we mesh that together into a, this is what Paul, Justin uh, and, and Jason were thinking about doing uh, at tout. And then we met, then we talked to one another afterwards and be like, dude, what an idiot. What, are, what were you thinking? Um, I think that would be a nice format. Yeah. I think we're, de we should definitely do that this year. So I will, I will organize uh, and then we'll, We'll do it. In, I'll do it individually with you, individually with Paul, and then one of you guys can talk to me about what I'm doing uh, in uh, NL Tout, uh, and then we'll just make it three separate episodes that maybe come back or come out, you know, back to back to back on, uh, you know, the week after Tout or something like it that. It also holds us accountable to actually mm -hmm. do that pre-draft prep, <laughs> so yeah. we, we have something we have something to talk about. It's it's going to be this is the first year because when I did labor previously. I believe I did NL labor. Uh, I, I cause when I was in, so I'd never done AL labor. Uh, like two weeks before doing tout with some of the same. Like Larry is in both leagues with me. Glenn and Rick are in both leagues with me. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, but it's like there. I've got people in both formats with me, and it's it's a little strange. And I will probably execute two different strategies. I may come that way if I have a plan A and plan B. I can pick one for one and one for the other because I don't want to end up with the same team in both. I mean, if one of them does well, that's like, great. Uh, that's where I'm a little torn. I got to figure that one out. Uh, just figure out how I'm going to do it. And it's a different format. One's a straight standard five by five. The other one's an OBP base league. Um, but the pitching wise uh, is it's the same. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode uh, for Jason, and myself. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season. Yay.